Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Another college basketball edition of the pod. You better get used to hearing that over the next six weeks as we are less than a month now away from Selection Sunday as we record on a Tuesday, or excuse me, a Monday evening rolling into Tuesday. Uh, Greg Frank here with you at Undercover Greg for all of my gambling picks. Joined as always by my college basketball partner in crime, Bill Christie. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2 to find him. You know, Bill, not the best of podcasts for me on Saturday, but you did well, and it feels like that's the way this has been going the last couple of pods. One of us to be red hot, and the other kind of struggles to hit 500. Yeah, it seems like it'd be the tail of the tape recently, but hey, three and, or what were we, two and one on consensus plays, sure, though? that's always nice. You know, I mean, Nova let us down. I, I I actually ended up doubling down on Nova in the second half, watching the game. Yeah, and I'll be I, honest, like, watching some of that game, like, I, that was one where I just kind of said, all right, I tip my, hat, tip my cap, Creighton. Didn't see this coming from you guys. Played well. Deserved the win. Good for you. Yeah, I just, but watching the game, specifically in the first half, it, it seemed like Nova got deep into the paint every possession and got really good looks that they just weren't either finishing. Um, and, and in fairness, yeah, I saw more of the second half than the first half. 
And Creighton was just, I mean, me and you were just talking about the Jazz game, Jazz and Sixers, and how the Jazz couldn't miss. I mean, Creighton, everything they were putting up was going in. And I just felt like, you know, look, you can't stay that hot for an entire game, especially right. against a team like Villanova who can play some day. I felt the shooting was off the top down of my head. Like, has that 86? Is that the most points Villanova's allowed this season? Maybe not. Maybe 90. Possibly, but I would assume that's a good that's a good guess for for what yeah. they've given up. Um, but I just felt like yeah, they were already a little bit cold. Yeah, no one was getting good looks. Six percent from the three point line. Yeah, I mean that was just it was absurd. And then I, you know I thought it was a good look at the beginning. Nine percent from the field. Too. <laughs> that's abs- yeah, like come on, like nobody does that throughout an entire game typically. Um, so yeah, the double down definitely hurt me. Um, but hey, that's that's part of the game, you know. We're not we're not uh, able to read the future, you know. We we think we do a decent enough job of putting ourselves and you know other people in positions. Advantageous positions, yeah. yeah. And that's what I thought I was doing, and it bit me in the butt, unfortunately. But hey, today's a different day. I know you were on it as well. Florida State wire to wire, even though uh, you're giving me a hard time because I thought you were going to jinx us early on, saying they looked good early, which they did. And then I, I got to be honest, man. And I, I, I yeah, you're making references to people talking about your putts on the golf course, and yeah. I'm thinking, well, gosh, the, the way that you're waiting for me to say something, you're like uh, snails on in Caddyshack, <laughs> yeah, taking exactly. forever to hit his putt. <laughs> well, hey, they cut it to ten pretty early they in the did. second half. Yeah. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Because I had looked at that second-half line just, just out of curiosity. And I saw it was a, a live line, I guess, really. It was 17-and-a-half. And I'm like, oh, well, they're definitely going to get inside 17-and-a-half. And sure enough, I was wrong again in the second half. And in Florida State ended up put, putting them away and extending that halftime lead a little bit. So that was that was great. I put that out as one of my five-unit bombs um, for this month. And to hit that wire-to-wire felt really, really good after – Look, the last two weeks I've kind of been struggling a little bit, you know, not taking too bad of hits, but it's just been minimizing damage almost all week, I feel like. And this week, you know, we're getting off on the right foot. I started getting back into, I know this isn't a soccer podcast, it's strictly college basketball, but <laughs> dip my toe back into soccer a little bit that I've really, really had come off of um, because of college basketball. But I was so hot at portions of the season for soccer last year that I figured I have to go back into it and, because if there's value there, why not? And luckily enough, I went 2-0 today, got some cash there, and then we parlayed it over here with the nice Knowles win against Yuva, who, man, they, they're like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High team, you know? Sometimes sure. they look phenomenal, and other times, like tonight, you know, they look like they did. And I, I some somebody on Twitter had posted something about it. They were on the other side. And I said to them, you know, it was really just a, a battle of tempos and style, you know, and it was just that Florida State's tempo and style, you know, took over. It's hard for those teams that want to slow everything down because if you get out out of the gate hot like Florida State did and get that lead, you know, it's it's tough for a team that wants to slow it down and play possession ball, you know, to, to come back in those kind of games. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So nice to be on the right side of that. I know you were on the right side of it. And I'm sure we're going to be on the right side of some plays for tomorrow night as well. And we're going to get into our picks in a minute. We do only have five games that we're running through here for Tuesday. But, you know, just real quick, Bill, like, I'm looking. I didn't realize. I mean, I guess it's not a huge surprise. 
Leonard Hamilton's been at Florida State for almost 20, 20 years now. He started at wow. two, in 2002. Mm-hmm. He's 72 years old. Because something told me, like, we talk about these blue bloods or changing of the guard in the ACC, or, or in all the conferences for that matter, because a lot of the blue bloods have been struggle, struggling. But part of that changing of the guard, specifically in the ACC, the last five or six years, I was just, I wanted to look at how long he had been there, because it really feels like the last half decade or so, Florida State has kind of launched itself into a little more national contention than his first decade there. And I don't know if you feel that way, but I don't know. I just feel like we're talking about the Florida State program in a more positive light as far as the national conversation. And maybe that is because, you know, throughout the first decade of the 21st century and maybe even from 2010 to 2015, you still had Carolina and Duke always on that one or two seed line, and there just wasn't enough to go around in the ACC. Yeah, and I think I think media plays a little bit of a part in that too because it's just – the North Carolina, the Duke narrative kind of gets pushed so, so much uh, that even when they have a decent year, they're, they're still going to be overlooked. Like, look at even, I mean, even this year, I'm not going to say they're overlooked, but I feel like, you know, more people were talking about the fact that Duke is so down as opposed to that Florida State's having a really, really solid year. But I'll uh, be honest, I forgot that Florida State was ranked. Like, yeah. when I saw the line open, I, I was I was like, oh my gosh, like, Florida State's favored over UVA and obviously still played it. But now, I mean, they're going to be knocking on the door of the top 10. Yeah, I mean, they only have three losses. That's what's so crazy about that. You don't, you, you don't think they're having a great point about, season, like, but... the lack of it being publicized. Like, here they are, like, as you said, only with three losses, absolutely a contender to get to a second weekend this year, and and, and nobody's really talking about them. Right, exactly. I always feel like, though, that they're like a four or five seed. They can never get out of sure. that number. And I'm looking right now at at the latest bracketology, and sure enough, they're sitting at the five. They're definitely going to move now. But, um, you know, come the end of the year, who knows? They might be back in that same exact spot. So, bizarre, bizarre. Yeah, and those blue bloods, that, that team down in Durham in the headlines yeah, again. Yeah, a little bit about that, too. I mean, <laughs> it, doesn't it just feel like, – like I saw that headline, and honestly – I wasn't even that surprised because it's just been that kind of season for them. Coach K, I mean, he was running his mouth all the way back when they lost those t- games against Big Ten teams. I can't remember if Illinois was first or Michigan State, but mm-hmm. whoever was second, you know, they bo- both games were Cameron. I want to say Illinois was second because Michigan State was the Big Ten or was the Champions Classic game, which right. is always early in the season. And normally that's at a neutral site, but this year they played on campus sites. But anyway, um, when they lost the second of those Big Ten games, he started running his mouth about if we should be playing. And obviously, you know, later on in, in when we got into the conference portion of the schedule, he's yapping off at a student reporter. And mm-hmm. it just feels like every time Duke was in the headlines, it was for something bad or for something negative or they weren't playing or, or, or whatever it may be. And yeah. now one of their better players, who I don't even know how good he is viewed in scouting circles – so we'll see where he Jalen Johnson ends up getting drafted this summer. But now he's not going to be there. It just kind of feels like uh, the Blue Devils are dotting the I's and crossing the T's on a very disappointing season here. Yeah, it seems that way. I was reading a little bit about it because I'm not really following them uh, too much because unless I'm fading them, I don't really care. Right. Um, but apparently he hasn't even been in the starting lineup recently. Wow. I know. I, I I mean, you're talking about a so guy who probably who's, just said, "Screw this, I'm out of here." Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, you can't blame the kid, right? Like with what everything that's going on in the program, 
and God forbid he ends up going down and taking an injury, he's toast. So I don't blame the kid for, for opting out at this point for what's going on. Um, but people are like, oh, yeah, he, he hasn't been starting and been playing better without him. And I'm like, the people watching the same team that I am? Like, granted, they did take care of NC State, but they had three straight losses to Miami, Carolina, and, and Notre Dame. It's not like they're have, playing. Have you bet them once this season? Duke? Yeah. I think I may have taken them once, and I think I may have found it. Let me look real quick. Yep. I think I took them at Louisville, and I lost. <laughs> yeah, they were short dogs to Louisville, and I figured, all right, that's going to be where, you know, that's maybe they can wagon. turn this around, and nope. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've kind of been the same way. I mean, I, I, I got suckered on Kentucky a few times this season, but... Um, but you've hit on them, too. I have. I, think I, have, that's even, yeah, I feel I, like that's I've evened won. out for you. So it actually has worked out, but but yeah, uh, just kind of par for the course, it feels like, with, with where the Blue Devil season is at. And, you know, I, I, I do wonder, I mean, uh, I don't think Kay's going to go out this way, but gosh, if, if he just retired after this season, like... Oh, I don't terrible. even know if that would shock me at this point. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think I would be. Um, that I, look, at, I mean, I've talked a lot about him in the negative light, specifically this year. But for somebody like him to go out that way, just I don't know. It, it just wouldn't seem right um, with all the. I, I, I guess, but I mean, he's he's obviously proved plenty. So yeah, but I mean, looks, I'm just saying. My angle of it is, like, if, if he looks at it and says, you know what, I don't want to recruit anymore. This was a horrible season. I don't want to go through. Now, I suppose on one hand he might say, all right, well, it was COVID season and, and this, that, and the other thing. But I, I, if I'm him, and again, I'm not, but <laughs> if, I, if I'm in my mid-70s and I've won a bunch of national championships, you know, on one hand, he's not the USA coach anymore. So, you know, he doesn't have that in the summer, like, where he – that would keep him involved in coaching. Like, I suppose, yeah, you could look at it as, you know, does he really want to go out this way? But on the other hand, Bill, like, how many iconic athletes or coaches go out in a positive light? Like, I feel like oftentimes yeah. there is that, like, kind of, oh, like, Derek Jeter hits 200 or whatever in his mm-hmm. final season and then just decides to hang it up or – Paul Pierce plays on like four teams or whatever, you know, like yeah, yeah. I think I, I don't know. I mean, the athlete I think sometimes is maybe the athlete's different than the coach. Yeah, right? I would think it's a little bit more the case just because of their, you know, sheer competitiveness wants to drive them. But they're, right. Yeah, their bodies can't take it. Whereas yeah. coaches, it's more you know, it's more so. I okay, mean, but I'll bring up another coach. Like Bayheim's been missing the tournament, like NIT for like a good while now. Like we, you think he's just waiting to have one more good season and then get out up in Syracuse? I think some guys are like that, but I also think some guys are just like that's all they know. Like they don't know what they would do. So they, the team being good or not actually doesn't impact if they come back or not. No, it's like it, it sounds ridiculous, but you know we all know like we all had grandparents, we know older folks who like they just live by routine, and once they get out of that routine, like they, they're like a kid again. You know, it's circle of life. They say they get out of that routine, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to, like, they don't know how to live. And that's kind of like these guys, like a Beheim. Like all he knows is that routine. I'm, 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 
Yeah. You know, I'm going out there, I'm scouting, I'm recruiting in the off season. season comes, I do this. Like, I guarantee you that his, especially of all people, him, where his his program, his his offense, his defense, nothing's really changed much with him. So, like, I feel like everything is super routine. And, again, like, if he's going to walk away, like, I don't know if he'd be able to handle what, you know, what do you do next? What do you, you do get him? I mean, I guess I can't argue with it. You really think these guys, when like, the coach can tell a death, till they're on their deathbed, you think is, like, really on the table here? Uh... Possibly, yeah. I mean, look, that ha- let's be real, though. That happens in a lot of people's professions, right? Like, I mean, I don't know what the statistics are, but I know that they're they're out there to, that people that retire only last X amount of years if they've been in their career for X amount of years. Like, the longer you are in your career, almost, they, a lot of times they say, like, when you finally stop, it's, you know, your body starts to shut down because you've been, like, in cruise control for you know, uh, however long. For another movie reference, I just saw Shawshank on cable. It's like... uh Brooks Hatlin, he's a, he's yeah. a librarian, and then he he finally gets out, and he just cannot assimilate to the real world. Yeah, and it's it's sad, but I mean, a lot of these guys, I feel like that's look at look at Coach K. Like when did, when was basketball season not in his life? I mean, yeah. going up as a player all the way through, got right into coaching. He's at the academy, and you know he ends up get, getting getting the duke and then you know that's it it's it's crazy these guys lies are... for one of these guys to step away and I, i'm curious who's going to be first but you know yeah. i guess we'll keep waiting yeah, i mean calhoun i guess was the, really the first one yeah that's right but then he ended up coaching somewhere else right yeah i think he was coaching yeah some like d2 program or something yeah. strange i don't know but yeah he was he was the first of like those those names the guy we kind of grew up with you know yeah and stepped aside yeah right I mean, I guess maybe, like, Gary Williams, if we want to talk about him in that circle, yeah. but I don't know if he quite has a seat at that table. I mean, he's a pretty good coach. Yeah, he was a good coach, but, I, yeah, I would definitely not put him in Yeah, in I that mean, I'm definitely reaching there. So, yeah. I don't know, just food for thought there. But, uh, anyway, some good chatter there as far as uh, what's going on in college basketball as we uh, move into our picks now. As I said, just five games that we're going to run through, uh, a couple of consensus picks. And this is not planned, by the way. It just kind of happened this way where we have a couple consensus plays and a crossfire. Therefore, uh, you know, handicapping one of our picks is going to be handicapping both of our picks in certain games. And that is just the way the cookie crumbled uh, here on a Monday night into Tuesday's college basketball slate. So let's get started. We're going to start and end with our two consensus plays. Let's get started in Athens, where we have the Georgia Bulldogs catching three at home against the Missouri Tigers, a total of 153 in this game. And this is going to be our first consensus play as we're both going to give out Georgia plus the short number. I'll start, Bill. First, I saw this number tick down a bit from four, three and a half uh, at the open. Uh, So, again, given where these two teams are at uh, in the SEC standings, Missouri still in the top 25. Georgia obviously has never flirted with the top 25 this year. That was a sign that kind of ticked me off a little to the Bulldogs' side. Georgia also, for what it's worth, has actually had a good deal of success on their home floor. Bulldogs are 10-3 and three straight up uh, at home. And, and then again, like this line, uh, seeing that move uh, really intrigued me uh, and got me to the Georgia side. Georgia loses to Alabama by 33 points. Uh, I believe that was their last game. And Missouri recently played Alabama and won. And... Mm-hmm. 
yes, it was the last game for Georgia on uh, Saturday. So they lose by 33, and they give, give up 115 in regulation. They lose 115 to 82. As I said, Missouri had just played Alabama and beat Alabama, and this number only comes three. So, again, I think that that is definitely an indicator that Georgia is the side. And honestly, I don't even know that I want to argue with the number a ton because when you look at what Missouri has done excuse me, done since, and I'm kicking myself for not having them, I believe the first game after that Alabama win where they were an underdog against Ole Miss, um, which was a game that I'm pretty sure you played them on. Am I correct? Uh, yes. Right. Okay. So they get clobbered in that game by Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Like, they're never really in that game. They lose by 21. And then they lose on the road against Arkansas in overtime. And now they're going on the road again. So third straight road game. You don't love that. Uh, Excuse me, the Arkansas game was home. I apologize there. Um, But I think the bottom line is you can't trust anyone in the tier below Alabama in this conference. I mean, you look at this league, and it's you look at the conference standings. It's Arkansas. It's Missouri. It's Florida. It's LSU. It's Tennessee. All of those teams on any given night could look like a Sweet 16 team or maybe better than that. But on any given night, those teams could also look like they don't belong in the NCAA tournament. And so when I look at Missouri, I kind of feel like – they're the latter right now, and they're looking like a team that's just kind of sleepwalking through the rest of its conference schedule, got its win against Alabama, and kind of knows, all right, well, we know what we're capable of, and whether we win these games or not, like we're going to the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, you know, Ole Miss, Arkansas, who cares? We'll find our form again in the SEC tournament leading up to the NCAA tournament, and we'll look like the team that beat Alabama again. Not a team I want to buy a lot of stock in right now. As a matter of fact, it's a team that I'd rather short some stock in. Uh, and, and so I will, I will definitely hop on Georgia here. Last thing here, just to kind of go off how I feel like Missouri is kind of sleepwalking a bit. We talk a lot on this podcast about programs and teams with coaches who, you know, are buttoned up and we expect them to bounce back after getting, the, getting their ass kicked and getting embarrassed you know, Wisconsin, UVA, teams of that nature. Missouri under Conzo Martin has only made the tournament once, and it was this is his fourth season. In his first three, they only made it once, and it was his first season. So the last couple seasons, they've just kind of been like 500, not that impressive. So, again, that's not the kind of program that I expect consistency from, not the kind of coach who I expect when his team does get their rear ends kicked to light into them and get them back going in the right direction. So I do not think this is the time Missouri gets right. As I said, I think that they're just on cruise control into the SEC tournament. Maybe they'll find their form again then. But as for the middle of February, this game against Georgia, you got to play the Bulldogs, in my opinion. I'll take them plus three. Yeah, I'm following you here. Mostly what you just said. Uh, I'm looking at this uh, Georgia team. They have been short dogs at home. Uh, in a bunch of games, and they have handled business in that role, winning some of those games outright. It wouldn't shock me to see them pull out the W here. Uh, I'm still going to be playing the points, but I do like the fact that they have been able to get wins outright in this spot. Um, and I'm not sure if you mentioned this trend or not, 
Missouri being one and four against the spread their last five versus teams uh, with winning records. So uh, that just shows me kind of like what you're saying, the sleepwalking thing. And I just don't think – I don't think Missouri is good as their rank at all. I mean, and then you look at Kempom, and they have them ranked 42nd in the country, not 20th, I think I saw. Right. Um, and I know that they've been – well, that and Bill, like, they have not looked great at times defensively. Like, they're 57th in adjusted def- in, in defensive efficiency, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Georgia is not an NCAA tournament team, but their efficiency numbers are definitely better on the offensive side of the floor. So I, I would think that Georgia could score some points here. Yeah, and again, one of the, my favorite things to look at, specifically when I'm taking a dog, offensive rebounding percentage, and, and Georgia hits the glass well. Uh, 17th in the country in offensive rebounding. Missouri, on the other hand, 218th in keeping the guys off the glass. Not a recipe for success there. Uh, so I like Georgia. I like them getting the points. Again, wouldn't shock me to see them win it outright, but I will probably not be sprinkling the money line on this one, just taking the points and hopefully still be happy with a, a straight-up dub. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, at three, it's not like you're getting this crazy price on the money line anyway. So. No, nah, I think I'm seeing like 155. It's, sure. Yeah, it's, there's not much there. Yeah. So let's move forward uh, and go to a couple of our uh, individual plays that we'll be riding. How about a little action from Bill on Tuesday night? And no, it's not football. Uh, it is the Akron Zips. Uh, for Actually, I said Tuesday night. How about an afternoon tip-off here yes. at 2 o'clock Eastern? Let's get the real Mac, weird. With always the finding ways to zig when everybody else zags. Oh. The Zips are laying 15.5 against Northern Illinois, total of 133. You're laying the wood. Let's hear it. Oh, man. How about that for some alliteration? <laughs> zig, zag, and zips all in the same yeah, right? sentence. Man, nothing else says well, match not, more not than that. It just kind of came out. <laughs> But it works nonetheless. Hey, I, I did pretty deep into this one because um, I looked at the initial trends and I saw some things that really stuck out to me, uh, mainly that Akron is 6-0 and last home last six home games against the spread, 4-0 their last four games versus teams with losing records, 8-1 and in their last nine overall. So right there points me in Akron's direction. I look on the other side of it, and the Northern Illinois Huskies, 1-7 against the spread their last eight road games, 1-6 against the spread their last seven road games against teams with winning home records, and then 1-5 their last six road games against teams that are greater than 600. I looked at that, and I said, okay, I'm leaning towards Akron to begin with. And I said, you know, let me dive a little bit deeper into this, because Sometimes these types of trends can be really misleading, like with, with Akron being 6-0 six and, six and in their last six home games. Um, they could be one, two-point favorites in those games. It's a much different game than what we're dealing with here as a sure. big, big favorite of 16. Same thing on the other side. I mean, where's, where's Northern Illinois? I mean, they've lost one or they haven't covered uh, seven of their last eight road games, but are all those road games where they're – you know, maybe only catching six, seven points, and they're only losing maybe by one or one or two off the spread. So I went back in and looked at the schedules a little bit, and uh, as double-digit dogs, Northern Illinois, I have them as one in five overall, which does not bode well, obviously, for them. Um, and the other side, there's only been two games where Akron's been double-digit favorite. Now, granted, not as high as 16, um, but both games being favored by 10, and they handled business both times. 
The other thing is, Louisville only beat this Akron team by two the last time they met this season. Sure. And Akron was an eight-point favorite there. So you're telling me, in a loss, so eight points, let's call it a six-point advantage because they lost by two, you're going to give them up to 16 at home? Something doesn't seem right there. Um I like Akron in this spot. I think they're going to absolutely bludgeon them from start to finish. Um, I looked a little bit at the uh, first half line. Uh, wasn't too crazy about it. I think, if anything, they'll pull away late if they have to. But I don't see Northern Illinois staying in this game uh, for much of the game at all. Yeah, not a ton for me here, obviously. But I do think it's interesting to know that Akron is not a regular season title, uh, just a, a half game behind in the conference standings. Toledo eleven and three in MAC games. Akron ten and three. Toledo is a big favorite tomorrow night against Miami of Ohio. Uh, but you know, I always kind of find those. Uh, I, I think sometimes those teams that you're looking for reasons for margin, right? And I think that uh, you know when you have these. These two, it really just seems like it's Toledo and Akron at the top of the league. Well, Kent State and Ohio, are, if you are, it sounds like they're in the mix a little bit here. But um, when, when, anytime you have a team like that that's neck and neck at the top of the league, I think they're probably looking for uh, you know some statements to send. I would probably like this more if you know I'm looking Akron's overall record is 12 and four. If they were more like 15 and one. Or, or 16 and 0, and, and you know, in the conversation for an at-large bid, even if they couldn't get uh, to the conference automatic bid uh, with Toledo, like if, if they were both, you know, a combined three losses or something like that, I would like it more just on the fact that, you know, if you're Akron, then you're almost like looking for margin. Like I played Drake on Sunday, that was a little bit of a uh, going back to the zigzag. That was a zigzag theory off of the you gave it out on our pod, Loyola Chicago, on Saturday. So sometimes these mid-majors that have a chance to uh, get an at-large bid, I think there's reason for margin. Drake was a six-point dog in the game. But uh, anyway, I digress. I, I think that the point here is well taken. As you said, Akron has had success at home, haven't lost at home, uh, and, and they've covered uh, every game that there was a spread uh, at home. So... Uh, definitely uh, definitely not going to be playing the other side here and um, wishing you nothing but the best on the zip. And if you, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, my God. Gosh, yeah, how down is Northern 321st on offensive efficiency, 277th defense. You know, Bill, it's funny you mention this because, I mean, guys, remember the beginning of the season, there was the whole trend on gambling Twitter, phase Chicago State. Yeah. And, you know, I do think for bookmakers – it can be very challenging sometimes to hang numbers on these teams that because the in college athletics and, and you know any level below the pro level the variance is going to be wider you know right. i mean a bad college team could lose by 40 or 50 on a regular basis whereas you know you take the worst team in the nba they might lose one maybe two games by that margin all season you know yeah. So I, I think as far as putting point spreads up, like the reason you see some of these teams struggle so much against the spread is because it is really hard even for the bookmakers to get a feel for how bad they are. Yeah, and since you mentioned uh, Chicago State, I'm looking at the schedule for Northern Illinois. That's one of their wins. They knocked <laughs> them off by 10. They were 17-point favorites. They did not cover. They only won by 10. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Eric can't cover out. against Chicago State. No. 
And I think you're in good shape here. Yeah, hopefully. I'm going to go to the Big 12, and honestly, uh, you could almost copy and paste the audio from my handicap of all Iowa State and West Virginia and plug it in here. It was a game that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the beginning of the month, uh, Iowa State hosting West Virginia. West Virginia was getting ready to have a gauntlet of a Big Ten stretch, or excuse me, a Big 12 stretch to end the regular season. And so I played Iowa State plus the big number, thinking that there wasn't much reason for margin for West Virginia and that they had bigger fish to fry. That is exactly what I'm doing here with, uh, by the way, another afternoon game. This is the second game in the rotation. Northern Illinois, Akron, numbers 601-602. Iowa State, number 603 is my pick. They travel to Stillwater, number 604 is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And again, that's my point about West Virginia a couple weeks ago holds true here with Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, after this game, ends its regular season at Baylor. And remember, Baylor coming out of a COVID break, at least that game is scheduled to happen right now on Saturday. So certainly Oklahoma State probably thinking that it might be able to catch Baylor a little rusty. Uh, And then they play Texas Tech at home on Monday and then they end with two games against their in-state rival, Oklahoma, a home-and-home there. So, you know, if you're Oklahoma State and and you're kind of in the middle of the Big 12 trying to crash the party a little with the Big 12 elites, well, there you go. I mean, two games against Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and Baylor are how you end your regular season. Have to think that you're going to want to be, you know, at full strength, everybody – Rested and ready to go. Obviously, you got plenty of time before playing Baylor, even if that game happens. But the point here is, again, I just don't think there's much reason that Oklahoma State would keep the starters in for their normal allotment of minutes. uh, And all of that would amount towards not covering a number for what it's worth. It does look like this number has ticked down a bit. I got 11.5, but when I began to handicap handicap the game, I was seeing some 12s and 12.5s in the marketplace. Um, So... I think that the move is, makes sense. Oklahoma State just has only been a double-digit favorite four times this year and has only covered one of those four. One in three ATS is a double-digit favorite. Uh, it really just is the prototypical get-out, get-in get and get-out game, even the start time indicating that as well at 3 o'clock in the afternoon local time there in Stillwater. So, I'm going to plug my nose again. I, speaking of teams on the lower end of the Kempom, Iowa State is number 148, so they're not quite as bad as Northern Illinois and Chicago State. Uh, but they've been covering these games. They covered for me against West Virginia, covered against Kansas. Um, I believe they covered against Texas. Like I think they do it again here, uh, so I'm taking Iowa State. Yeah, no pushback from me at all. Um, if I'm leaning either way here, I'm definitely leaning with the Cyclones, uh, everything that you said. And this Oklahoma State team has just been so strange to me, I feel like. They have they have some really, really good wins. You know, they knocked off Texas when they were ranked 6th. Uh, they knocked off Texas Tech when they were ranked 13th. They have some losses. Like, they lost at home to TCU. Um and then they lost on the road at TCU, who's not a good program. Uh, they lost to a Kansas team that had been struggling at that point. Granted, it was at Fog Allen. But yeah, exactly, I, Bill. Like, it's not exactly the kind of team you trust lying this kind no, of a number. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Like, I just don't see them 
being the type of team that's going to just put these guys away. Look, they beat them by 21 on the road. So now they're only going to be given, like you said, and it's ticking down. I actually saw it open at 13, and now I'm seeing as low as 11. So the fact that it's doing that just this really plays to the point of, you know, Iowa State seems to be a play, and literally the the money is the opposite of the tickets. I'm seeing almost 60% of tickets on, on the pokes, and I'm seeing – 53% of the money on the Cyclones. So right there is telling me that Iowa State would be the play. So uh, not saying it's another consensus yet, but uh, don't be shocked if I end up playing this game uh, <laughs> either later this evening or early tomorrow. There we go. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I definitely think there's something to these teams. Like Oklahoma State, probably going to be – and I don't know what their record is against the spread as a dog, but I just think generally speaking uh, – there are certain teams uh, in certain spots, you know, you want to back them as dogs in the big games and fade them when they're favorites, you know, because they don't, you know, we talk about Baylor in the Big 12, right? They just run through everyone, and, and yeah. it's never close, really. And so that's a team you don't mind laying lumber with. But Oklahoma State or whoever, you get further down in the conference. Yeah, they're 2-4 and, and four as home favorite. Excuse me? They're 2-4. and four. So you get further down in the conference and you get these teams thrusted into different roles. Remember, Oklahoma State's behind Baylor, Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia for a reason because they're not consistent enough. And games like this are why, even if they win it, I don't think they cover the big number. Just the opposite, though, of a consensus play. We're going to get to a crossfire now in the Big East uh, where uh, it is a 6.30 Eastern tip in stores. The Providence Friars making the short trip to stores, Connecticut, to take on the Connecticut Huskies. We're seeing Providence catching 5.5 on the road, total of 133.5. Bill, you're on the Huskies. I'm on the Friars for a crossfire. I know where you're going with this. You're going to say revenge but I'm going to let you take it from there, but it is UConn did lose by double digits not too long ago in Providence. Yes, and that is a part of the handicap, so uh, thanks for stealing my thunder on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also the fact that uh, Huskies 7-1 and one against the spread their last eight uh, against teams with winning straight-up records. Uh, they're also 9-3 and three against the spread their last 12 overall. So it, even though they're not playing great in the fact of their record, um, but they're doing really well against the number. And as a home team um, in this series against Providence versus UConn, the home team is 7-1 and one against the spread over the last eight. Now, obviously, that stretches through a couple seasons. I don't put too, too much merit into that, um, but I thought it was interesting to, to look at. Uh, the other part of it is you know, we're going to start talking about it, and I know you're really not a big proponent of it, which maybe that's why you're against it here. Um, the fact that UConn is... is a bubble team and Providence is out of it. Um, you know, if they're going to be playing for anything, UConn's playing for something more than Providence is. Um, they got the revenge factor in there. And then when you look at just the Kempom ratings, UConn's just flat out a better team um, on both sides of the ball. They're 39th in offensive efficiency to Providence's 81st in defensive efficiency. And when you go the other way, you got Providence who's 67th in offensive and UConn is 47th. So right there tells me that, you know, they're the better team. They lost by 11. They're given only five and a half here. Oh, I shouldn't say five and a half. I think, I think five and a half is a decent number. Um, but I'm going to say the same thing with this game, as I said, um, for our last crossfire. I believe our last crossfire was the 
was it Carolina? Carolina, and, Virginia on th- on Saturday, yeah. And I remember saying that I I just see this being more of a double digit win for UConn more so than I see this being a one possession game. Um, obviously that panned out in my last one. We'll see if it pans out in this one, but I am curious as to why you are on the other side here. Yeah. So first off, you know, I, I made a note of this early in your handicap. I didn't want to cut you off, but I would not equate what you said about UConn's success against teams with straight up records above 500 to this game. Providence is 11 and 10. So yeah, they're over 500. But when you do that, you're lumping them in with the Creightons of the world, and UConn played USC mm-hmm. back in the non-conference. Like that's not Providence. Right. So, secondly, you mentioned it. I do find myself, at least I like to, and honestly, I haven't tracked this. This isn't something that I've, you know, actually know if I have had success doing it or not. But I like to bet against bubble teams in February more than I like to bet on them. Because my thinking is they're on the bubble for a reason because you can't trust them, kind of like what I was just saying with Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's not a bubble team. They look like they're going to make the field. Um, But you can't trust them in these spots on a nightly basis. Uh, Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but doesn't that more so play into it when the team they're going against is a more established team, a team that's in the tournament? Because, like, you can make that same argument and say, well, isn't Providence I, I out of it? You're saying, like, well, you can't trust them to get the big win to get them off the bubble, so to speak. Okay. Isn't that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like a game against a top-level team, that argument can be uh, more productive because of the fact that, all right, you need a big win, you're going against this team, and it doesn't come through because that's the reason. They're on the bubble for that reason. But when they're playing a team like this, like Providence, like, well, they're not even on the bubble. Like they can't even get there. So what's going to make me trust the Providence team that can't even be on the bubble more so than a UConn team that at least is on the bubble? Yeah, I mean, like, again, my play is not so much on Providence here as much as I right. just don't really trust UConn. Because here's the thing, Bill. Like, you look at UConn this season, and I mentioned that USC game. That's a nice win for them, and it's actually looking nicer as USC keeps winning. That's a nice win for them non-conference. They had some COVID stuff going on, so they've only played 14 games. But they're 9-5, and five, and here's who they've beaten in Big East play this year. DePaul twice, Butler twice, Xavier Marquette. Winning at Xavier was a nice win. I'll give them that in their last game. Mm-hmm. But the body of work for me, just like if I had to bet right now if UConn was going to make or miss the tournament, I'd probably say they miss just because I don't really think they're – that great. I mean, like I said, they got a USC win back in December, and they just picked up a nice win over Xavier. Um, and now, it, okay, I will give you this. In all six of those conference wins, DePaul twice, Butler twice, Xavier, Marquette, they covered all six games. Um, so maybe that does speak to your point, but I think this is a little bit of a – actually, like I think it's a bit of a bubble tax – like you say, oh, it's only five and a half, six. I actually think this line should be shorter because, as you said, Providence just beat UConn by double digits. That wasn't like back in January when conference play just started. That was just like a week ago or whatever. And prior to that Xavier win, UConn had lost four out of five. And, you know, they lost to fellow bubble team Seton Hall at home. They lost to St. John's, who we talked about last week, 
as a team that's probably not even making the tournament. So maybe did they get going a little bit in the right direction, beating Xavier, perhaps. But, oh, by the way, for a bubble team, you talked about, you know, that massive game that you wouldn't trust them in. Well, I'm not saying I'm necessarily going to be on Nova, but that's who's up next for yeah. UConn here. So, yeah. you know, I, and, and, and this is a rhetorical question. I don't know the answer. But what bubble team has a better win than at Villanova, which is UConn's next game? So, you know, and right now, as I said, besides the Xavier win, like they just don't have anything else in conference. And other than that Nova game, their only other chance before the Big East tournament against a team, because the Big East is not a great league this year, Mm -hmm. their only other chance in league play is going to be on March 3rd when they play Seton Hall again as far as taking on a team that might make the field. So all of this is to say that I just don't think UConn's that great. And they've been picking up wins against bottom feeders in the Big East. And maybe you could argue that Providence is another one of those teams. Uh, But I happen to think that this is two teams that are going to end up around 500. And, you know, when I mentioned UConn having been inconsistent, having lost the four out of five before the Xavier win, Providence has won back-to-back games. And I'm not saying they're great, but... I think with these two teams, when we're talking about two teams that I don't think are that good, period, if they play each other, I'm going to want to back the team that's coming in playing a little better. And you're going to give me six, five and a half points to back Providence. I'm willing to trust that Providence's recent form, Ed, Ed Cooley's a good coach, so it's not like what I mentioned with Conzo Martin where I'm just not sure if his teams are going to recover. Like, I, Missouri might completely free fall here. Like, I think Ed Cooley gets his team up for this game. I think they're coming in confident having just beaten UConn. And again, you're giving me five and a half, six points with a UConn in a look-ahead spot when there's really not that much impressive about UConn's resume anyway. Uh, All of it makes me think Providence. So I will say it is the weakest of my four picks as far as confidence (laughs) rankings. And there it is. It doesn't make me feel great, but let's go (laughs) Friars. All right, one more thing before we jump off of this game. Uh, Another similarity to my last handicap of our last crossfire uh, it's actually the opposite, I guess you'd say. I was talking about how I always back North Carolina because of the offensive rebounding, but I said what uh, Virginia does such a good job of keeping them off the glass, it's going to be a difference. This is the opposite here. UConn does hit the offensive glass well, and Providence doesn't do the world's best job of keeping them off. But they did do it in their last matchup. I don't think they're going to be able to do it again. And like I said, I'm just more confident in a possible double-digit win than a one-possession game. But best of luck, and we shall see how this one turns out tomorrow. Let's wrap things up in the Big Ten, where uh, we have a final consensus play in West Lafayette. It's the Michigan State Spartans traveling to Indiana to take on the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, and we're seeing, actually, it looks like this number's ticking down a little bit. I laid yeah. five and a half before we hopped on. It now seems like uh, you can get some fives out there. Total of 135 and a half. Uh, Bill, I'll let you fire away first on the Boilermakers. Yeah, I'll say that this is probably my least confident pick. Um, I, I honestly feel like both of these teams I kind of keep getting on the wrong side of. Um, so take this with a grain of salt. Well, but, you had Minnesota too last game against Purdue, right? Yeah, but I'm, I'm probably I guess I'm talking more so the more in the beginning of the year, and then with Michigan State as well. Like, I really thought that the last game was a spot where Michigan State was going to show up, and I could not have been 
more wrong. Right. Um, and and that's what kind of scares me here. It's like I was wrong last game with them. That was going to be their spot, and they got blown out. Now I'm like, they're not. They're done. They have nothing left. And then they're only catching five, five and a half here on the road at Purdue. Kind of worries me a little bit. But, I mean, overall, they've just – Michigan State's just been abysmal. One and six their last seven following a straight-up loss. Two and ten their last 12 following the loss. Uh, one and five their last six road games. Uh, they just don't look that great. Um, and Purdue, again, is, is – look, they're not, obviously not – I don't think they're a bubble team. I think they're – pretty they're in right you would say they're in right now oh i would yes yeah so i mean i think lenardi's got him as a six seed right now so okay they, they don't even have to sweat it seems like yeah so i i just i think that purdue's just a much better team um yeah, i mean the more i talk about it the less i like it just because i feel like that number's just too short um but it's definitely the better team i think they can get the job done at home uh purdue being a, what, they are 29th in offensive efficiency. Um, the other side of it is I mean, Michigan State actually has been decent uh, defensively. They're ranked 40th, but offensively Michigan State's just been terrible. And uh, and this Purdue team actually does a decent job on the defensive end as well. So if they stifle them early, uh, which is definitely possible, Purdue should be able to handle them. Uh, and I see Michigan State as being a team right now, again, one of those blue blood programs that are, even if they – are starting out hot, and like, but that was why I played them last game. Was I played them in the first half, thinking, all right, even if they can at least get out of the gate and take it seriously from the get go, build a lead up, uh, they could definitely tank and get blown out in the second half. Unfortunately, they got blown out from wire to wire. Um, but even in this game, playing the number, yeah, Michigan State might actually keep it tight in the first half, but they just seem to constantly fold in the second half. So we'll have that back and forth as well. But I'm curious to hear while. Why you like Purdue here? Yeah, so uh, Purdue eight and one straight up at home. Now, granted, only uh, they're under five hundred against the spread at home, but you know, I just don't see this being one of those games where there would be a straight up win without covering. Because I'll be honest, uh, I wanted to end with this game because I think this is the Michigan State funeral. Uh, I, I do not see that. I, I think Purdue is going to win this game by double digits. And, I already have your gift ready to go. If you're right, if they end up doing it, I already have I have it all set for you. Okay, um, but here's the thing: like, just when it looked like, and, and and we talked a little bit about it over the weekend, Bill, because you were on Michigan State in the first half against Iowa. Mm-hmm. Just when it looked like, okay, maybe they're starting to get a little confidence because they weren't even covering those last couple games. They played Penn State and Nebraska before Michigan uh, before Iowa again, and they didn't cover either game. But they won both of them, and they did cover against Iowa the first time, which was also just before those two wins against the Big Ten bottom feeders. So, it, you know, they compete at Iowa, then they pick up a couple conference wins. And now here they are. They're coming home against Iowa, and that was kind of their opportunity to give their season one last shot in the arm. And they lost by 30. So... When I saw that score, I just thought, you know what? This is just not their year. And that is kind of the, like, we're going to see them, I say funeral now, because I suppose, like, you you look at Ken Palm and they're still, you know, sitting at 69, you know, so 
a win here against Purdue would, would certainly, I guess, keep the conversation going a little as far as Michigan State. And, I mean, it doesn't even look like they're on the bubble. And a lot of bracketologists, like, people, I think, right now firmly think they're not going to make the tournament. If they win here, could that reopen the conversation? Maybe. But, gosh, just as I said, just when it looked like the Spartans were playing a little better and maybe a little more confident with a few wins, they go out and at home lose by 30. I don't love that. And Purdue coming off of a devastating loss in the closing minutes. And I didn't watch the game because I was working on Thursday night, but I was following a game cast pretty closely. Purdue had the lead at half. They had the lead in the early parts of the second half. It felt like we were on the wrong side there with Minnesota. And the Gophers come back and end up winning by three. And depending on what number you got, you might not have even cashed your ticket on the Gophers. So it really felt like Purdue let one slip away there. You know, so now here they are coming back home with a chance to, I just think, completely bury Michigan State here. And, 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 and as far as, you know, the any prayer that the Spartans would have of getting back on the at-large pool, like, I think that all goes away here if they lose this game. And one thing that really stood out to me, Michigan State has not won at Mackey Arena in West Lafayette since 2014. So you'd have to go back seven years since wow. the last time they won at Purdue. And obviously you're talking about a lot better Michigan State teams than this one. And the other thing I like here, just from a situational standpoint, you think about the Big Ten in really just those last seven years. Like, that surprises us. Like, I hear you say, wow, that they had such success against Michigan State at home. And it surprised me, too, because we always look at Purdue as, like, the, the, the leader of the next tier in the Big Ten, where it's Michigan State, historically, Michigan State, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, going back to when Cream was at Indiana, you know, they were at the top of the Big Ten. And it wasn't always Purdue. And they're always kind of that team. You talked about Florida State in the beginning of the pod being a four or five seed. I feel like that's Purdue every year. And they've had some more disappointments in the tournament than success. They were three seed uh, the last time we had the tournament and pushed UVA to the ropes in a great regional final. Um, so the point I'm making here is, and, and, and again, that's kind of where Purdue is this year, right? They're not up there with Illinois. They're not up there with Iowa. They're not up there with Ohio State. But they're pretty solid in that second tier of the Big Ten. But now we have a Michigan State drift back, and you have a Purdue team and a program that has a chance to really, as I said, put the nail on the coffin for Michigan State's NCAA at-large chances. Like, I think the Boilermakers have got to be licking their chops for this spot, especially coming off of that Minnesota loss, the way they let it get away. Uh, as I said, I think Purdue wins by double digits here. I like it. I'm glad I'm on this side. <laughs> there we go. A consensus play on the Purdue Boilermakers. Boiler up to wrap things up for another edition of Full Slate. His name is Bill Christie. Lucha Larry at Larry's Locks 2 for all of his picks. Bill, always fun. We'll talk Friday night for more Saturday picks. Yes, sir. Talk to you then. That'll do it for Full Slate. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg for all of my picks. And follow the podcast at full underscore slate underscore pod. This will be out on Tuesday morning. Hopefully you'll be able to listen and get the picks for Tuesday night's college basketball. And afternoon. And afternoon. That's right. And we got some afternoon plays as well. So, again, everyone, enjoy your Tuesdays. And, of course, please play responsibly.